Once upon a time, the circus was a word that implied only positives, excitement, amazement, and good old-fashioned family fun. Nowadays, though, when someone describes something as a circus, it's not necessarily a compliment. It implies frenzy, sensationalism, or even stilted theatrical razzle-dazzle. Sadly, the concept of self-care at this precarious moment in time has taken a similar turn. How can individuals in a place to impact educators take one of the more necessary concepts on earth and stop it from coming across as the greatest show on earth? Stick around, more on that next. Welcome to the Grounded Learners Guild, the podcast that gets real about education, authentic leadership, and the transcendent power of being a part of a highly functioning team. Here are your hosts, Casey Veach, Emily Coakland, and me, Jenny Labrie. In-person learning has become a complicated and sometimes even contentious issue. And one way schools are trying to support their staff members right now is to consistently remind them to engage in self-care. It's true, but a quick scroll through educational social media shows many glimpses of educators feeling fatigued by this request. Something about it is ringing false. Instead of a move towards better physical and mental health for school staff, systems touting self-care is taking on an air of showmanship rather than substance. If educational systems can't pause and take an intentional look at self-care, it might continue to ring of the razzle-dazzle of a circus performance, taking it in the opposite direction direction from its intended effect. Our hope with this episode is to reframe the way organizations right now think about and encourage their staff to set healthy boundaries and shift the paradigm from self-care to staff care. So when we first started planning this particular episode centered around self-care, I don't know if you guys remember my initial pitch of the metaphor, (laughs) and it was just sort of off the cuff. And we decided, oh, yeah, we'll just totally make it work. It'll be fine. It'll be great. But the more we dug into this, the more I really started to buy into that gut reaction I had of it being sort of like like a circus. So let's first start by talking about unpacking that metaphor a little bit. When you think of the self-care circus, what are some things that you two think about first? There's Cirque du Soleil that's like really fancy. And, you know, I saw it in Vegas and it was it was phenomenal. It was great. But I've also been to some of those circus that are a little corny or cheesy. And and are they really authentic? They seem a little bit performative, if you ask right. me. I remember when I when we first came up with this, we were we had just recently come off with watching A Bug's Life <laughs> with with my oldest, my four year old. And just the circus bugs <laughs> like them. Right. <laughs> that sort of inauthentic. They were playing a part and it stuck in me, which is where the initial brainstorm had come from. But there's some sort of inauthenticity that comes from the history of a circus. And I think that's where we're seeing some of that self-care referencing kind of come through. Absolutely. Yeah. My first circus connection, my childhood favorite movie was Dumbo. So I knew a lot of circus references back then. P.S. That movie does not hold up. Um, If you watch it now, whoa. (laughs) Bad news in many regards. And also even just like the way everybody's acting and being treated behind the scenes in that circus. But 
yet it's it's supposed to be drawing people in and bringing them in and making them feel excited or happy or some sort of positive and yet like behind the scenes there's like this casual racism and like babies being separated from their mothers like just bad kind of creepy things happening behind the scenes in in that movie and that was unfortunately the first mental connection that I made and I don't think that anybody is coming into self-care with ill intent I think the problem is that right now there's so many other things going on and there's so many stories happening behind the scenes that it's really impossible for authentic self-care to be happening just because somebody asks it to be so. Well, and to keep up with both of you, I oftentimes have feel like I have to do some homework, especially when it comes to making connections with our metaphors. So I spent a little bit of time even just making sure I looked up what are common rules of a circus and what has <laughs> been the history of the circus and how has it transformed over the years and evolved. And it is really interesting to see, Emily, what you're talking about of what the circus was a century ago to what you see now, quote unquote, circus performers now, or even performers that do some of the same types of acts. But you really don't see the animals, the mistreatment of animals or the that sort of thing anymore. And so I wonder if we're connecting SCL as well. It was almost something that was never talked about to something that's talked about a lot. But do we know necessarily what the evolution of what that will look like and what would be good use of people's time and taking care of themselves versus just saying it. Yeah. One thing that's struck me, Jenny, with what you just said about mistreatment of animals, there's also a lot of dark history about mistreatment of people Mm -hmm. within at least the P.T. Barnum traditional early 1900s style of circus, putting these sideshows, these acts out and really taking advantage of people. I feel like one of the things we mentioned in our intro as This is a a very contentious time for a lot of teachers right now, feeling like systems are taking advantage to a certain extent. Teachers are always willing to do what is best for kids. But we do have that perception sometimes with some of us right now. And that's why we're seeing more of these references to SEL just to try to swing the pendulum back a little bit, but we want to make sure, and we're going to talk about that in a few minutes today, how to swing that pendulum in a genuine and authentic way versus it being step right up to the greatest show on earth where we're just saying it's important. How do we really show that it's important? Yeah, that's huge. Because in truth, I think a lot of teachers are really feeling like that circus performer who's kind of been pushed to the limit. They're already on the high wire and they're juggling eight things and jumping through hoops of fire and just doing all this crazy stuff just to keep kids engaged, keep their attention, keep the kids knowing that they're cared about. There's so many things that they already are doing and are willing to do for kids. But I think sometimes in a pandemic situation like this, it's kind of like that extended make it work, like we mentioned, where people are starting to get squeezed pretty dry. And it's like asking that person on a unicycle on the tightrope juggling knives to also juggle flaming (laughs) knives. Like, it's just one more thing. How? How do you light a knife on fire? I don't don't know. Dip it in oil first or something? (laughs) I'm like, what if the handle is wood? I don't know. There's options. (laughs) Wouldn't it be hot? But that's part of the misdirection, right? That's part of the razzle-dazzle, right? Of another reference to circuses from my previous theater nerd 
life is the song Razzle Dazzle from Chicago. How do I misdirect my audience, which we'll come back to in a second. How can they see with glitter in their eyes if I'm putting out the show that I care versus showing that I care? I think could be a really powerful reframe of this. So another thing that we really want to think about when we're in a system that is really emphasizing self-care, it's that audience perspective. Well, I think this is something we've been talking about since our very first episode is when a, a typical year and a typical time, the audience is our students. And once in a while, parent-teacher conferences or during typical parent communications, and obviously more so in the administrator or leadership role, there's communication with parents and community as well. But because online and hybrid learning have brought education into everybody's living room or dining room table or home office, everybody's watching what teachers are doing. So this, it's like you're watching the circus performers also practice and learn, and it should be okay to make mistakes or to learn fail forward like we discussed in that episode too but i think that everybody is so afraid to do anything wrong because you're not just doing it with your kids their parents and their siblings might be working right next to them if they're in a remote or a hybrid setting it seems like things are moving closer to coming back under the circus tent of being back in our school buildings again but at the same time Mm -hmm. there's still so much teaching and learning and failing and learning that every stakeholder in a community has seen. And I think as a part of dealing with that, one of the things that administrators and leadership will do is, teachers, we care for you. We want to make sure you're taking care of yourselves. Please don't forget to take care of yourselves. But I guess I just would wonder, how do we keep teachers from hearing that as, that's another thing I have to do, in addition to all these other things that I have to do that everybody's watching me do. Now I have to do this too, take care of me and them. And that's got to be really isolating, right? Like, take care of yourself, because (laughs) everyone else is doing all of this stuff over here. And really, you're putting another thing. I really like that connection of you're putting something else back on that teacher's plate. I guess I'll bring in the opposite of that. And while I absolutely agree with what both of you are saying, I also think that there is something to be said about being able to recognize and own your own self-care and know what works for you. Because who's going to really know what works for you? Because what works for me is not what works for Emily. Emily and I, our self-care routines are very different. Same thing, Casey. What you need Mm -hmm. looks very different than what I need. So it's very hard for somebody on the outside to necessarily know the customized self-care that I might need. So I do think that there is a little bit of personal responsibility. But what I do hear and what I do witness and see, and we all do, is what you're talking about, Emily, is where everything, there's so much on your plate that something's got to give. And oftentimes, even when you're told, still put yourself first, educators often just by very nature put people before themselves. And so it's really hard to prioritize that self-care as well. So there needs to be a balance of knowing yourself and being able to take care of yourself, but also being a part of a system that helps take something off your plate or helps bolster some of that so you can invest in your self-care or is a second set of hands as you're juggling all those Mm -hmm. responsibilities they're the one okay let me take this one for you so that you can do this one a little bit easier and -hmm. i think that's a great transition to our next segment which is la cirque nouveau so like the new circus when it comes to really shifting from self-care to staff care So what are some suggestions? How can systems and schools right now 
make self-care part of the show and not a sideshow. So it's interesting that we mentioned in that first section this idea of evolution, the way circuses have evolved from a lot of wrongs being done to people behind the scenes that the audience maybe wasn't aware of or even thinking about to the point now where Jenny mentioned Cirque du Soleil in Vegas. Those people are incredible athletes. They are entertainers. They are paid for their work. As far as I understand that this is a much better system for using a circus as a venue to entertain people. So when I think about this evolution, I think one of the key things that we want to do is shift culture. And this is not an easy ask of anybody. I think when we're talking about cultural shift, as the overall culture shifts, school cultures begin to shift too. Right. And I also think that school culture particularly, it's a responsibility of all of those stakeholders, of the performers, of the audience, of everybody in that give and take situation to do what they can do to shift culture forward. and Well, and it's normalizing it as well. And I have never seen it more normalized. And when I say it, I mean SEL. 10 years ago, I remember if a teacher were to use their planning period for 30 minutes to go for a walk outside or to go walk around the track, that was frowned upon. You were pretty much judged deeply by that. And now we see people that have a plan period and they're walking around the building. They're wearing their tennis shoes to work because they're like, I need to get some movement. I need to do this. And so it's really that culture shift starts with normalizing it. And it's a group effort. It comes from all educators, from our classroom teachers to our office staff, to our leaders, that when you see somebody taking care of themselves, that you don't give the judging look, but the good for you, because we have to normalize that. It's true. So I feel like we're already kind of dabbling into our hacks segment. So let's talk about some additional ways that we can really amplify authentic staff care right now. It's true. We don't want to hang out here on the complaint train. Is that the complaint circus train? I don't know. Yeah, Yeah, one of our norms. We don't like to admire the problem too long. Nope, nope, nope. So yeah, even if self-care is ringing a little bit false right now, there's plenty somebody can do. And honestly, I think that the first thing is sort of what we mentioned in the introduction section. We need to flip the script and think about what staff care could look like. So think about a circus where the ringmaster is taking care of the performers and everybody knows it, where that care shows on every level where everybody in the community sees that leaders in charge and the community care deeply for each other. Thing number one that can be done there is figuring out what is something that would encourage everybody to take care of each other. And one of the first things I can actually think of is time. I cannot think of anybody who has ever been given time and being told to spend that time on themselves who hasn't found something to do during that time. And I think support from the ringmaster or the admin level doesn't have to necessarily be upper admin. Anyone from a leadership perspective, it could be you bring an issue to that person and they say, I hear you, let's do something about it. You feel that support from that particular leader. You know what? I'm really glad you mentioned that. That really speaks a lot to that point that I said earlier about how visible everybody's instruction has been this year to every single stakeholder in the system. That support is what starts to create that fail forward mentality. So I kind of think too about that feeling that we had back when we were all remote, when you would see people's kids and dogs and cats and stuff too. There was something even kind of 
humanizing about everybody's little mistakes or even just the little norms of their life eking into our instruction. I thought that that sort of did some humanization and equalizing of common understanding of everyone. And and I hope that that sticks. Well, I feel like it's the compartmentalization coming down. So much of our work right now in education, we are forced to compartmentalize. And even this is even pre-pandemic. But seeing someone's dog or seeing someone's kiddo during a meeting, it's like, The walls have to come down, the curtain slides to the side, and it's really nice to see that person for who they are, not just what they do in their classroom or in your school. Another one of those hacks is the idea of modeling it. And as I mentioned it a little bit before, this can be anybody, but it is, again, normalizing it, but also don't applaud if the show sucks. (laughs) And I think that sometimes what, what we see is there are times where I think people are doing it maybe because when they applaud when the show sucks because they're trying to stay positive, like this is still going to be good. We're still taking care of each other. But what happens is this spiraling of not acknowledging or making space for something that's true or authentic. And so it's not necessarily living in sad trombone land, but it is being genuine and that when we over applaud something that shouldn't be, that you lose a lot of that authenticity. Well, you're sending a message that either, A, I'm not really seeing you, or I'm not really seeing it, and that gives the perception that you're out of touch, and you don't understand your people, so when you do have messages that you're trying to really communicate, you've already lost that credibility and that trust with them. And number two, it also calls into question, do you really know what you're doing? Because this clearly sucks. (laughs) This isn't working. And I really think that part of that not applauding is when healthy boundaries are set between work life and home life. I think that it's an increasingly hard thing for administrators themselves to do because so much of their working hours comes outside of the day. And I truly empathize with that. And I think it's harder and harder for teachers to do it too. But if there ever is an opportunity to model that healthy boundary, like, okay, you're going through something teacher who's working very hard, family first, or you first. Put down your work. We will make sure your students are okay, but you need to step away for a second and take care of you. Forcing that boundary in there, even as a leader, can be such a gift to somebody, even when it's so hard for them to step away from their own caring for their own students and, and their the integrity that they bring to their work. Like, I, I read some stories over the pandemic about people teaching from hospital beds that breaks my heart. Where was their person telling them to put down their computer, put down their Zoom, and get better? Now, the one thing I will say to sort of not necessarily push back at that, but our situations, like Jenny said earlier, things are different for everybody. Mm -hmm. For somebody who doesn't have anything else, thinking about the story Joe Sanfilippo tells of that woman in his building that he kept going to visit and talking to saying, you need to go home, you need to go home, you need to go home. But those were the nights that she stayed that she didn't have her child. And so diving into work and really focusing on improving their craft was how they took care of themselves in a sense, because to do something different meant they had to go down a path they didn't want to go down. So it's always important, I think, to know who your people are 
and know enough about what their needs are so you can help them draw that boundary. It's knowing your people, I think, that's important. You're right. I came I came in a little bit hot on that one. That's fine. I do that sometimes, obviously, skeptic brain. But I would say, I guess, in response to that, you're right. I think it's not automatically that they need somebody to push back on them when teachers are pushing themselves or seem like teachers are pushing themselves to the extreme, but they do need that advocate and they might need somebody to step in and ask a question. Maybe not say, put your computer down, but is this helping you right now? Right. What can we do? What can we do? Sometimes that question of what can we do? What can we do for you? It's worth millions. It's so important in terms of leadership asking a teacher who's on the struggle bus or even just teachers in general even if there was like a way for teachers to continually anonymously say here's what's going on with me and here's what I need I don't know I still feel like that constant communication of what staff needs will make a leader more aware it might help them help them better and it might lead to not making assumptions like I just made so good well and I think too being careful about what you celebrate in terms of celebrating when someone like you had mentioned earlier, Jenny, with the people taking walks during their plan period. Those are things that deserve to be celebrated because those people are self-monitoring. They know what their needs are and they're making it happen for themselves. So I I'm glad you said that too, because what came to mind as you two were talking was that the reverse of that celebrating busyness has been a norm that you see a lot. Like, I've got so much going on. I'm super busy. And while, yes, culturally, I think that that has been celebrated for a long, long time because it shows you're productive. It shows that you care about your work. You're intensely loyal to the things that you do and the people you're working for. But being busy all the time is how you create burnout overwhelm and the like. So it's a delicate balance because you want to be very competent and you want to make sure that you're not just twiddling your thumbs and doing nothing, but you also need to make sure that it's not celebrating the fact that I don't have any time to care for myself. Yeah, you're right. And I think that widely transcends the educational world to any of our non-ed listeners. The culture of overwork in American culture, I would say specifically, is that's been a thing for a really long time. And if there's ever a time to dial that back, it's during our pandemic times. And I've lived abroad. I've lived abroad and I've seen what other cultures have put on slowing down, even just the pace when you're in Spain the way people walk down the street is so much slower. And in a sense, it takes a lot of getting used to like, I got somewhere to be like, you're in my way. But their culture is to really take it all in, slow down, appreciate the moment, not rush so much. It's like that, not just in Spain, but I've been in my husband lived in France. We've been to England. There's just a different flow to life. And so I'm not saying that all that we do with being busy is a bad thing, but I think it's important to know that it can't be the only thing we celebrate because then you don't have the time for the self-care. Or again, this may be off topic, but even in those moments where busyness doesn't exist, that's sometimes where we have our best creative ideas. Like Absolutely. My brain goes places when I'm driving home or when I'm not listening to anything Or when I have that moment or those few moments to just take a breath, that's where my brain does the creative, innovative work that it loves to do. 
there's some scientific research that has found that when you put yourself into that rest mode or that, I guess, default mode where you're not go, go, go all the time, that's really where you're going to find some of those breakthroughs and the creative juices start to flow or you just find a better version of whatever is top of your mind at the moment, but you have to be willing to slow down or take a break to get there. And that's hard to do. And it is hard to celebrate in a culture that celebrates the opposite so much. But I do think that every step that leaders and stakeholders in education can make towards seeing somebody at rest or in leisure and yet not assuming that that is an idle thing could be a really big push forward for all of us. Actually, Jenny, I'm really glad you mentioned the idea of taking in and seeing things too, that idea of slowing down and taking a look and really taking in what's around you because that made me think of another thing. I cannot say enough about specific and positive feedback for people as a way of caring for your staff, staff care. Honestly, that idea of, I just was walking by your classroom the other day and I actually heard kids laughing and that just was such a wonderful thing to hear from me and you are such a great teacher at connecting with those kids. I just think you're doing such a great job. Keep it up. That is worth hundred dollars in gift cards or more you could give people food you could give people gifts but the gift of somebody's specific praise where they really see you that's going to stick in your heart and make you stronger it's going in that rainy day mental note fund it's going to fill your capacity bank that's the opposite of don't applaud when the show sucks but it's like dang it you better applaud (laughs) when the show is fantastic we don't say it enough because we're busy or our calendars are full end to end. And if we do slow down a little bit, that leaves room for those moments of connection and those specific genuine times to applaud others or applaud yourself. And it's not that you want to sing praises that are inauthentic. It's more so because that's the line of work we get into is to make a difference. And so when people notice that, that's huge. The last hack we have is about typewriter walking. So balancing student and staff SEL concerns. Recently, I heard Allie Hearn speak, and as part of a school-wide SEL goal, she not only recommends having programs to support student social-emotional learning, but also staff. What are your different processes and steps that you're going to take and and clearly outline them? How are you going to do those mental and emotional check-ins with staff? What are you going to do to support staff members who are demonstrating those burnout signals? And I thought that was a really great idea to kind of balance that tightrope between our student needs and what our staff needs and emphasize those really authentic ways of taking care of your performers. It's true. And I honestly think this might be where some of us who are in the coaching roles or in those kind of middle roles feel a big call to learn more about emotional resilience coaching, learn more even about what trauma-informed practice looks like with adult learners. There is so much learning about SEL and trauma-informed instruction that people are taking in about how to help our students and legit that is huge necessary and essential right now but as far as some of us taking down a little bit of that work behind the scenes to make sure that the practices transcend to the adults in the system too that work will also pay dividends. I'm so glad you mentioned that. And I'd never really thought of our role in helping improve staff SEL, but we actually really do. And the more I'm thinking about it, it's like, oh my gosh, we really do. And Casey, I'm thinking of you 
pre-pandemic, we've talked about coaching for emotional resilience. And when you would talk about that with people who didn't understand the concept, you got people looking at you like, what is she talking about? Because (laughs) we're instructional coaches. We need to be setting goals. And absolutely, we should be. But in our coaching role, we have to have that in our repertoire because we need to be able to, just like a counselor would help a student through their SEL needs so that they can learn academically, the same is true for our adult learners, so that we can help them through whatever is impacting them in the moment so we can move beyond that. Emily, you even talked about the trauma-informed techniques as well to help, especially now more than ever, we have to be able to have those skills so that we can move towards setting goals that are going to help them grow in their practice instructionally. Yeah. So what are our takeaways for our listeners? First and foremost, it's that idea of staff care. It's that idea of that net underneath the performers on the high wire. They might be juggling too many things on a unicycle, but if you're putting that safety net underneath them where you're building people up with specific targeted praise and you're giving them time to work and you're encouraging that forward cultural shift away from this culture of busyness into a culture of of care and understanding and grace for everybody in the system, that's that, what that safety net is made of, and it's crucial. If you find yourself in your school or in your organization having that ringmaster heading, like you're that leader, you're in that leadership position, if the SEL doesn't come as naturally to you, don't be performative about it. Find someone else in your system who has that as a strength and provide them with that opportunity or find ways of really being authentic when you remind staff to engage in self-care and start this work now. We still have time. One of the quotes that I keep thinking about from, at least for this takeaway from The Greatest Showman is from now on, trying to not be blinded by the lights. What's waited for tomorrow starts now. So if you feel like your system is doing some of these self-care circus type hacks there's a moment there's always a chance to start over and re-envision the way your climate and culture deals with self-care and lastly i would say just consider how many things you any of us are juggling if you're juggling a lot of things and you're being asked to juggle another thing sometimes no is a complete sentence you can sometimes just say i cannot take this on right now Let me help you find somebody else who can. You know, I know that there's a lot being asked by a lot of people right now, and we're all trying so hard to continue making things work and improving and improving and constantly doing better. But there is a point in time where it is a form of self-care to not take on one more additional thing to juggle up there on that high wire. So it's okay to put that put that flaming knife down if flaming knives actually exist. (laughs) I got to go look that up. <laughs> Sorry, I don't know right. why I came up with this stuff. <laughs> um, you guys ready for our game? Of course. Game time. All right. So uh, this particular game set is all centered around either self-care or the circus. So in order for you to stay functional as a human, as a parent, as an, an adult, what are three things that you need? This one's super easy for me. I need time by myself, like what you mentioned, time in my own head. It needs to not have anybody else talking to me during that time because I I need to focus in my own brain and I need the quiet 
So that often is early, really ridiculously early morning time for me, but I need to be alone and, and think alone. Sometimes I need some sort of creative outlet. I need to put something out that I've never done before. So podcasting has been huge. Thanks, you guys. <laughs> I, that's been a huge help for me to kind of start writing down some thoughts, speaking thoughts, recording thoughts, and just add something creatively to the world. If we weren't doing this, I'd probably be cooking and making flowers a lot more because I just need to be making something or doing something new to me always. And then the last thing is some form of physical activity, something to get my heart rate up lately biking, but that's it. Those are my three. I think that's been a huge thing for me as well, especially over the last year, really recognizing. And Emily, you were the one who first started naming those three. You just said them now, but I've heard you say those three over and over and over again. It's almost like you have to say them to remind yourself, like, I didn't do two of those three things for the last week. I need to do that. And when you have that accountability partner, it's almost like when you're working out, right? Yeah. (laughs) But the same goes for me. So when I saw you doing that, it was really like, what are my three? And I would encourage that for anybody. If you don't know what your three things are, and I guess three doesn't have to be the magic number, but it is in our case, that's really helped me say, well, if I'm fulfilling the three things that I've identified, then I know that I'm taking care of myself or it's helping me be a better version of myself. And so my three are, the first one is, how do I make my life easier? I know this seems really kind of, I don't know, dumb, but like a grocery app not grocery shopping. How do I simplify my life? And Mm -hmm. so taking something off my plate by investing in something else that's going to help me do the things that I really love to do better or find that time to do. A daily yoga practice is another one of those that I have truly, even if it's 10 minutes, I have to find those 10 minutes. And that is where I release a lot of stress. It's about completing that stress response cycle. And if I don't do it, I notice that my body tenses up and I'm not able to really be as functional and productive as I'd like. And the last one is my own personal faith and stepping outside of my own head and what my woes are and really thinking about there is a bigger calling out there in life. And so my faith is also really huge for me too. Um, My three are, number one, having time by myself. As an introvert, my energy needs to be replenished. And it's not enough to happen just in my car between at the end of work and by the time I pick up my son. I really need that quiet, personal, zone out mental time. I need sleep. Sleep has always been a struggle for me over the past five years. And so if I don't have some quality night sleep, I am an anxiety-ridden mess. And then someone to talk to, whether that's someone to talk to are my girlfriends, my guild, my counselor, (laughs) my family, people that I want to talk to about a particular thing. I'm not one to just spread all my stuff around to everybody. There are specific people that I talk to about specific things. And having those in my corner when I am ready after my personal dive into my own thoughts has happened. I need those to stay functional. All right, Guild, let's hang on to our big threes, all of us. Yes. All right. Would you rather now walk a real tight rope or be chased by a drunk or creepy clown? (laughs) Now that we've gotten really authentic with our self-care, let's get weird. I know. It's it's time. (laughs) 
I love it. We, we um, got to move from the deep to something a little more. Let's, we have not laughed enough this episode. No. All right. Well, that did the trick. Yeah. I, I'm going to say 100% walk that tightrope. I I will take whatever physical injury comes. I am terrified of clowns, y'all. I just know. <laughs> Casey, Casey, what did I ask you about the images for this one? For our website, I am not allowed to put an image of a clown. <laughs> oh, no, no. If the thumbnail for this episode is a clown, I will not listen to it. So <laughs> you Tight do rope. know that for any of our social media followers, you may start getting hazed with clown pictures now that you have Or they'll be really grateful. I'm sure there's other people out there that are just as terrified as Emily. Hashtag GLG pod chat. I cannot be the only one, you guys. Like, seriously. But no, if they send me too many clown pictures, I'm changing my handle and not telling anybody. <laughs> Tightrope. I would take it. I will just find a way to balance. And if not, I will look really good in a cast. All right. I would say a tightrope only because I have this weird fear of being chased. I don't like going to haunted corn mazes. I went to one and, oh, just that thought of someone chasing me Mm -mm. is terrifying. So even if it's just somebody dressed in a four-piece suit, like that's still going to creep me out. This is going to be both of your nightmares, though. Then when I was dating my husband, this goes all the way back. We met in high school. So this is how long ago it was. We went on a walk at night and he had one of his friends wear an it mask in the woods and jump out at us as a prank. It was frightening. So we've got... And you married him? I know. I was going to say, the fact that you (laughs) married somebody who did that speaks a lot about your deep and everlasting love for this person, because that would have been a deal breaker Breaker. for me. (laughs) The worst worst of it is my sister was on the walk with us, my little sister, and I used her as human shield. (laughs) (laughs) I'm a horrible person. (laughs) Sorry. Okay. Is that you you saying tightrope too, Jenny? I I guess. I don't even know. I survived (laughs) it. So I guess I can handle being chased by a clown. I actually did and survived. So live to survive. Okay. So there you go. All right. So if you were in an old fashioned, meaning like a 1900s era circus, what would we be? So we have decided that we are going to give each other these roles just like we did with the cars <laughs> yes that went Casey and so I, well. That went, that went real well i've thought about this one ahead of time though so i will not be giving a crappy well i may give a crappy example for anyone that hasn't heard that last episode i think casey compared me to a pt cruiser, <laughs> PT cruiser. and i said she was an rv so there we go so yeah. i wonder how this one's going to turn out yeah, right let's like this to be honest moment. though Without the context, I think we're pretty even. Yes, yes. So if you haven't checked that episode out, the context helps. I'm ready. All right, go. I'm ready. So (laughs) I'm going to start with Emily. So I don't know if this is just in my head or if it's more of just like the big reference, but I'm envisioning, Emily, you being like the fortune teller. You just have this way of making things sound like really interesting and like you're so smart. And so I would say you would be the old fortune teller. Like right. reading like palms that. and I'm stuff. I'm the old fortune teller. I know. I noticed how you're the oldest of us. And you're the oldest one in the group. <laughs> Jenny, I would probably put you as the tightrope walker 
because balance is really important to you. And I think you have better balance than me for sure. <laughs> Just in all things. I have really fat feet, y'all. Not fat, <laughs> flat. I have flat feet, y'all. I don't know if I can make it work. They were pretty fat when I was pregnant, but flat feet. I don't know. I have pretty good balance, like on the ground. The but, uh, we'll see. But usually like a tightrope walker, they'll have like a stick. So you'll have be able to like okay. counter. Right. I'll take it. Emily, you would be the escape artist, like Harry Houdini. Dang. Yeah. Yeah. Why? I think your talents are all in the verbal. You are able to talk your way out of anything you need to, talk your way into anything you need to. You've got all the words. It's a really awesome connection to trying to get yourself out of a straitjacket when you need to. <laughs> Thanks, so, both of you, for giving me and powers. And then, Casey, <laughs> uh, for you, the one who swallows fire. Oh, <laughs> Do you know that one? The fire eater? The fire eater. So you are able to... You, Fall on you are, the sword. No, not there's nothing about a sword. I didn't say the flaming sword. Okay. But okay. you are able to take heat... And you're not scared of it, and you're able to pull something off that a lot of people would be terrified by, and then you're okay. okay. It's almost like you're the phoenix out of the ashes as well. I'm shaking off my ashes. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you. That's nice of you to say. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so my apologies in advance, guys, because you both did your homework on this, and I did no homework at all. Um, I'm just going to say it was my self-care by not doing any prep work. For this <laughs> so it's so, uh, Sure, sure. All right, Casey, you guys keep giving me the magic powers, but I actually would make you like a magician or an illusionist as well. And I think it's not because of any spin or twist. I feel like when there's just some idea of what's going to happen or like everybody's looking one way, all of a sudden you've pulled a rabbit out of a hat and everyone's like, whoa, amazing. You can make things <laughs> so materialize true. into something real better than most people I've ever seen. So I think that, Aww. like, again, a magician or like an illusionist, I think would be a very good one for you. Jenny, I actually, I thought a little bit about this one and I want to be really careful with it. We're talking You're old fashioned circus. So, <laughs> no, it's because we all, we already dumped all over old fashioned circuses and the way animals oh, were treated. Gotcha. But what I actually think would be a role for you would be as like an animal trainer, but here's why I'm putting it out there is I think as like the lion tamer type of person, I don't think you'd be the person with the whip. I think the lions would just take to you because you are calm, you're collected, you can look the most scary situation in the eye and apparently still marry the person who made the clown chase you. Um, <laughs> I, I, <laughs> I've never heard that sound. Or maybe Leo. Nope. <laughs> Sorry, Leo. We know this now. <laughs> no, but seriously. You're the like, worst. You, you have... <laughs> Jenny has inner calm. People and I'm sure creatures respond to that. And in a situation where things seem like they would be completely out of control in anybody else's hands, they are functional, grounded, haha, pardon the pun, and keep moving forward and doing cool things in yours. So I think you could be an animal trainer of the kind and gentle variety. Well, uh, thank you for that. And I will say that went way better than what kind of car we are. <laughs> <laughs> we were way nicer to each other this time. Yes. <laughs> yes. 
<laughs> we don't know enough about cars, guys. Let's be real. <laughs> All right. So coming up next time. So in our next episode, we're going to be talking about the games we play and ways that we can use gamification, both with students and adult learning to both, number one, connect, bring in some of these social emotional learning components, but also rethink the way that we get kids to think critically and creatively about what they're learning. And then in episode 13, we're going to be talking about the apathy zone. So what happens when you have really, really high expectations, but a low culture and climate in a particular system, what happens is people in your system enter something called apathy zone. So we'll be talking about what that is and what systems can do about it. So definitely tune in. And that's a wrap on today's episode. It is our sincerest hope to advocate for adult learners, and we aim to contribute to this community with genuine conversations about education, leadership, and topics that matter to you. If you'd like to connect, you can find us on our website, thegroundedlearnersguild.com, on Twitter, at GroundedLGuild, at CVeacher, at TechCoachM, and at Jenny Labrie, using the hashtag GLGPodChat. We believe in the power of feedback. It helps us to keep growing and allows us to bring new quality and customized content. Subscribe to our podcast on Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen. And don't forget to leave us a review. Thanks again for joining us, Casey, Emily, and me, Jenny, in today's episode of the Grounded Learners Guild. See you at the next Guild meeting. And in the meantime, do your best to stay grounded. <laughs>